And we appreciate the message of that song, In Majesty He Will Come. We worship His Majesty today. Hebrews chapter 12, would you open there with me please? And follow as we read from verse 25 through verse 28. Hebrews, the 12th chapter, from verse 25 through 28. You'll notice the context is identified a bit in verse 24 to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Please note the word better, because it is the key word for all the book of Hebrews. And verse 25, See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escaped not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised, saying yet once more, I will not shake the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of the things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Now, Verse 28 is important as well. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom that cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. This small group of Hebrew Christians were going through a very difficult time everything was undergoing convulsion. They were going through a very shaking experience, transition from Old Testament, Old Covenant, thick rituals of legalistic approach to God, were now being approached by a new covenant, in fact identified in the previous verse as a better covenant that the blood of Jesus speaks better things than that of Abel. But you can appreciate the fact that their whole tradition of approach to God had now been set aside. They were no longer coming to the same kind of a temple. Their hours of prayer were changed. Their priesthood was changed. There was one sacrifice now where before they offered daily sacrifices and offerings to God, now this was replaced all the typology and patterns and shadows and figures of the old covenant were being replaced by the fulfillment of the new covenant of the Lamb of God slain once and for all as a perfect atonement and cleansing for all of our sins. So a radical change that was taking place. But God was saying through the Holy Spirit, nothing of eternal value has been changed. Nothing of eternal consequence or value has been replaced. Only those things that needed to be shaken 
Only those things of the old that needed to be shaken apart and removed have been removed so that it would make way for the new and better temple, the new and better priesthood, the new and better offering to God. The whole theme of the book of Hebrews is summed up in that one word, better. There was an, a feeling somehow that what they now had was a bit inferior to what they once knew in their worship and approach to God. The Holy Spirit simply picked out a verse from the Old Testament and quoted it here. So if you'll turn back to the book of Haggai with me, one of the minor prophets close to the end of the Old Testament. In fact, just about two or three books from the end of the Old Testament. Haggai chapter 2, verse 9. You'll notice them right away. The Holy Spirit simply picked out this prophetic passage from the Old Testament and incorporated it into their New Testament circumstance to help them understand and appreciate what was happening to them. Haggai chapter 2, verse 6 through verse 9. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord. And the glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, some of you are familiar with the Messiah, Handel's Messiah. You might have sung this, and about halfway through, you can hear the baritone section begin to sing, the desire of all nations will come, and some Christmas music comes from this prophetic passage. But in this context, Israel had gone through a time of traumatic shaking. Solomon's temple had been destroyed by, by an invading force. That beautiful temple where there was so much gold and silver, it was the most costly and elaborate building ever built, ever constructed. Forty years in the making. It was magnificent. But God allowed an invading army to totally demolish burn with fire and strip away all of the expensive ornaments of that temple. Now they have returned back to the city of Jerusalem and rebuilt a temple again, but far inferior as far as, as uh, the external appointments are concerned. Not very much gold, not very much silver. The dimensions are a lot smaller and confined. And the Bible says that the elderly man wept because they remembered the former glory of the, the former temple. God raises up his prophet to say to them at this hour, the silver is mine. The gold is mine. If I had so chosen to do, I could have made this building even more elaborate than the first one. But instead I have chosen that this temple, the desire of all nations will come. And instead of the gold, this temple will be known for the glory. I will fill this house 
and the glory of this second house will be greater than the former house, for I will fill it with my glory, and in this place there will be peace. So what God was saying, I have allowed some shaking to take place, and for whatever purposes that needed to be done in correction at that moment, I allowed the shaking to take place so that anything that could be and needed to be shaken would be, and I have allowed this replacement, which in my view is a better one than before. Because the desire of all nations, and we know who that is, we worship and celebrate him this morning in this service. We sing about his first coming at Christmas, and we know about the second coming uh, that Patty just so beautifully rendered for us in majesty he will come. One is history, one is prophecy, but I'm concerned this morning about the one that's present, the coming of Jesus Christ into my life personally and making his residence in me. I, as this living body, become the tabernacle and temple of the Holy Spirit because if that doesn't happen, friend, if Jesus has not come presently, to live in my heart and my life, the historical coming of Jesus and the prophetical coming of Jesus doesn't mean a thing. Although it happened and will happen, it doesn't affect my life in a positive way unless I have had a personal coming of Jesus Christ to live in my life and be Lord over me and as many as received him. To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now Joel joins in the same prophecy, and just let me give you the reference. It's Joel 3.16. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion, utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth shall shake, but the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. I want to underscore the fact that there will be a shaking. The Lord will allow the voice of the Lord over Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth will shake. But, and that's always a conjunction of contrast. This is what's happening on one side, but as a total contrast, the word but says the Lord will be the hope of his people. Now you need to go back with me to the book of Hebrews and to the text that we read to you just a moment ago. And God was saying to this little group of Hebrew believers, it was necessary that the first covenant and all that went with it experience the shaking so that it might be set aside and fulfilled in the coming of the desire of all nations. Don't think for a minute that there's an inferior experience at this point, but a better one. A better one. What was inferior now has been set aside in preference of the superior one. Better indeed. Now let's look at this in reference to our personal life and experience. God, in his providence, 
and in his care over us allows the same thing that he has demonstrated in the national life of Israel and in the life of the church to be an illustration of what takes place also in the life of an individual. And I want you to see it through that particular context. God said in verse 27, yet once more, signifying the removing of things which are shaken, and notice, as of things that are made, that those things that cannot be shaken will remain. Now, it is important for us to realize the tendency for us to rest upon and build upon a flimsy foundation that cannot really support the kind of weight and faith that we place in them. When we do this, God will shake us and shake everything that can be shaken so that only that which cannot be shaken will remain. And so when that happens, we need to understand that it is not that these things are bad in themselves, but I want you to see that they are things that are made. They are manufactured by us. And because they have been manufactured by us, they cannot be an adequate foundation for us. And so it's not to say these things are evil, but there may be some very good things that we have taken as a foundation to build upon. And God never intended them to support us. There's only one foundation, and that's Jesus Christ the Lord. And if we're resting our faith on anyone or anything but him, he will shake us so that everything that can be shaken will be shaken so that only the things that cannot be shaken will remain. Now when that happens, we have a tendency to think that God's mad. But I want you to appreciate the fact Two things. First of all, the things aren't bad, and God isn't mad. They may be some very good things, but God will have to shake us loose from some good things. If they can be, they need to be shaken, so that the things that cannot be shaken will remain, because there are some things that can't be shaken, and that's where our faith needs to rest. Some things that can't be moved, that's where our faith needs to be resting today. Let me tell you, if you put your faith in a denomination, God will shake that denomination. Because that was never meant to be the foundation for your faith. Some denominational convulsions, I believe, are ordained of God because there are people who are putting their faith in their denomination when they need to put their faith in Jesus Christ. Because the denomination can't save you, only Jesus can be the Savior of our soul. And so he'll have to shake our denomination to say, that can't save you. Doesn't matter if you were raised assembly of God, that's not a ticket to heaven. Unless you've been to the altar, unless the blood has been applied, unless Jesus Christ is your Savior, you're as lost as if you were never attended church. 
God has to shake us from our denomination. He shakes us from our doctrine. Because sometimes we think because we're orthodox in our doctrine, that can save us. Friend, you can have it all listed correctly in your mind. Jesus talked to Martha and said, you know about the resurrection in theory. And I'm standing right in front of you and I am the resurrection and the life. You see, you're not Pentecostal because you belong to a church that is called Pentecostal. You're Pentecostal because you've been filled with the Spirit of God and your life has become a container of the glory of God and we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And you're, it's, 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 not a, it's not a denomination, it's an experience. It's not a doctrine, it is a lifestyle. Be being filled with the Holy Ghost. Isn't that right? And so he has to shake us up and say, hey, listen, wait a minute. You can't put your faith in just something that's on the statement of faith. You've got to have this experience and live in the dynamic of what God has provided for you. You can rest on deeds, good deeds. And as wonderful as they are, you need to hear the Apostle Paul say, not by works of righteousness, which I have done, but by his mercy and by his grace. And you see, it doesn't matter how many there are, how great they are, we are not saved by works, but by grace through faith. Not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, I'm persuaded this morning, if we put our faith in anything but Jesus Christ, he needs to shake us up. Shake us so that anything that can be shaken will be shaken, and only that which can't be shaken remains. And the convulsing that takes place, you can't put your faith in a ministry. God will shake that ministry. You can't put your faith in a minister. God will shake that minister. You have no business putting your faith in someone other than Jesus Christ, who is the Lord. So we pray, God, he's not angry with us, but it's in his love, it's in his grace, in his mercy. He will not let us rest on a flimsy foundation. He wants to move us to a firm foundation. Solid rock, Jesus Christ the Lord. For no other foundation can be laid but that which is laid in Jesus Christ the Lord. That's the only place we can build the rock, Christ Jesus. He said, I will shake the heavens. When he spoke at Sinai, the Bible says the earth trembled, the earth shook. When Jesus was crucified on the cross. There was a convulsing, there was earthquakes. He shook the earth. These were times when God was moving things aside shaking things that needed to be shaken. The old covenant, and during that earthquake, that veil rent from the top to the bottom and opened a new and living way through the riven veil of his flesh. And we have access into the presence of God boldly. A better experience now because of the shaking. A better way now to approach God because of that earthquake. Because of what God did in that moment,
to allow that to take place. We appreciate what God does for us when we put our trust in anything other than what he has ordained for us. Psalm 46, I believe, beautifully portrays the message this morning. If you want to turn there, it opens with a very direct statement. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. God is our refuge and our strength. And if I can pause just to insert at this point how often Israel forgot this message. And when you listen to the prophet Isaiah in chapter 28, verse 16, he said this, We have made lies our refuge. We have, under falsehood, we have hid ourselves. The Lord, he said in the next verse, will sweep away the refuge of lies and cause waters to overflow the hiding place of falsehood. The God is our refuge and our strength. Isaiah saw through the eyes of the Lord that his people of that day had made lies their refuge and falsehood their their place of hiding. But the Lord, he said, will shake you up. The Lord will sweep away the refuge of lies, and the Lord will take water and cover over the hiding place of falsehood. The prophet Jeremiah says, Thus saith the Lord, What iniquity have your fathers found in me, that they are gone from me and walked after vanity? and are become vain. You see, if we walk after vanity, we become vain. We become like the God we serve. God's complaint through Jeremiah was, they have left me. They've left walking and following me, and they begun to follow vanity. Same thought, same word as lies, falsehood, deception. And so they have become deceived. When we begin to follow deception, we become deceived. When we follow vanity, we become vain in our own imaginations. Verse 13 of that chapter says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And notice how relevant this is with Hebrews, the things which are made, and have hewn out cisterns, made for themselves broken cisterns, that can hold no water. God's complaint was Israel had two sins. One was they had forsaken him, the living water, and the second was they had made for themselves a substitute. And God had to shake Israel so that he would remove those things from their lives that could be shaken so that they would be moved onto the firm foundation come back to the fountain of living water where true satisfaction is. God loves us too much to let us follow a refuge of lies. God's not mad at us. God loves us. God loves us too much to allow us to follow after vanity and become vain. So he'll shake us. 
and he'll shake everything that can be shaken until we look around and see the things that cannot be shaken and put our trust in the eternal, put our trust in what is permanent and the things that cannot be removed. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. And if that's not true, then we cannot claim the rest. Therefore, will we not fear, though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, there's a stream, a river that, that makes glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. A lot of convulsing going on. The mountains are shaking. Everything is in turmoil. Everything's shook up. But the one who claims God as their refuge and their strength does not need to fear and will not be moved. Isn't that tremendous? The heathen rage, the kingdoms were moved. We see the convulsions of nations all around the world today. The kingdoms were moved. He utters his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Verse 10, be still and know that I am God. Hallelujah. It's amazing how little it takes to move us. How little it takes to destroy and disturb our peace. Now that's a good place to say amen without making too much of a confession. It's amazing how little it takes to move us. But the Apostle Paul was able to say as he was going back to Jerusalem, I know that bonds and affliction await me, but none of these things move me. How could he say that? Well, you see, I believe he had experienced the shaking of the Lord. And everything that could be had been shaken. And only the things that couldn't be shaken remained in Paul's life until he said it doesn't really matter I've put my history behind me I'm not claiming my ancestry Pharisee of the Pharisees Hebrew of the Hebrews scholar at the feet of Gamaliel I count all these things but nothing that I might win Christ I've shaken myself loose from all of these things that men seem to think are so important. And the one thing that's important to me is who I am in God, what I can do for him, performing the purpose and will for which I am here. None of these things move me. Why? He had found the solid rock. He had found the firm foundation. Every other faulty foundation and flimsy foundation had been shaken away. And the only thing that remained was what couldn't be shaken. Couldn't be shaken. And if we're experiencing fear and anxiety and dread and wonder how is this all going to be, you need to have God shake us up real good. God shake us up real good. 
Rattle our teeth. Rattle our brain. It'll be an expression of God's love to get us off foundations that can't support us and on to the rock, Christ Jesus. Hallelujah, that cannot be moved. I have a suspicion that if we continue to live through this to the end of this century, there's going to be more convulsing happening and we're going to need to feel the rock under our feet. We need to get situated on what cannot be moved, that which is permanent and that which is eternal, and say, it doesn't matter what else is going on around me. I am determined. I've made up my mind. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to make him the priority of my heart and of my life. Well, what is eternal? Those things that cannot be shaken. I think in the statement of our text, see that you refuse not him that speaketh. For he spoke on earth and he speaks from heaven. Let me suggest to you the one thing that can't be shaken is the word of God. Cannot be shaken. Matthew 24 says, heaven and earth will pass away. My word shall never pass away. Heavens and earth are going to be shaken, burned with fire. The heavens roll up like a scroll. All of this earth and elements will melt with a fervent heat. But when that's all finished, his word will still endure. It cannot be shaken. Put your faith for salvation in the word of God. In what God says, not in your feelings. Not in anything but what Jesus has to say. For only he has the words of eternal life. Isn't that right? That word is forever settled in heaven. It has endured great contradiction, great attack in every generation, including our own. But not one, one thread in the fabric of that faith has been damaged it stands eternal against all challenge. Hallelujah. I want to rest in the word. How close are you to the book? How close are you to the book? Is that where you really are looking for guidance, for direction, for sustenance? Let me suggest if that's the foundation, we need to live pretty close to the book. No Bible, no breakfast. Give us this day our daily bread. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Can you go two days, three days, four days, a week without it? Then that's not your foundation. You need to get off whatever it is get off the TV foundation and get back on the truth foundation. I don't have time. Sure you do. We all have the same amount of minutes in every day. We choose how we'll spend those moments. I think he deserves first fruits.
Everybody said. Amen. Amen. His word is eternal. I believe not only the word but the love of God. Verse, verse 5, let your conversation be without covetousness and let us be content with such things as we have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's unshakable this morning. The devil's a liar. God loves us. That doesn't change. And God loves us all the same. You believe that? I believe it because the word says so. He is no respecter of persons. God is without partiality. He loves us the same. Listen to the words in Romans chapter 8. You've heard them often. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? That sounds like shaking to me, doesn't it you? It sounds like turbulence. That sounds like convulsing. These things, can they separate us from the love of God? Verse 36, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a good place to shout right there. Amen? That can't be shaken. All the turbulence that's identified in that passage does not have the power to affect God's love relationship with me one ounce. Everything external happening cannot for one second impact or separate me from the love of God. One more thing, and we're, we're finished in Hebrews 12, in that passage, it says, verse 28, Wherefore we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be moved. Let us have grace, whereby we serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. A kingdom that cannot be Moved. Let me read to you from Daniel. Daniel chapter 2, verse 44 and 45. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. And it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that stone come out of the mountain without hands, and it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. The dream is certain, the interpretation thereof is sure. God in these days shall set up a kingdom that shall never be Destroy. Chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. I saw in the night vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. 
There was given him a dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom that shall not be destroyed. I have given you a kingdom that shall not, cannot be moved. Every kingdom in this world shall become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. Every kingdom shall be brought down, but the kingdom that we're a part of this morning, we have received that cannot be moved. Every political system in the world is coming down, but I'm part of a system this morning in Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God, that shall never be destroyed. I feel an eternal dimension in my soul this morning, don't you? And I don't know about you, but I pray, oh God, shake me loose from the spirit and concerns of that which is time-oriented and material and give me a vision of that which is eternal. God, shake us loose from everything that can be shaken so that only the things that can't be shaken will remain. Are you ready to pray that? That was weak. Are you ready to pray that? Say, oh, I don't know, Pastor. I don't know if I want to pray that or not. Oh, you don't want to rest on a flimsy foundation when you've got a firm one. You don't want an old, dry, stagnant cistern when there's a fresh artesian well of crystal clear water. God, don't let us rest anywhere but on the rock. Father, I pray you will take these thoughts this morning. Help us to understand some things that happen. That they are indeed the shaking so that things that are no longer useful can be shaken, making way for a new temple, making way for a new tabernacle, making way for a better one. God, I pray just as you gave understanding to that little group of Hebrew Christians from Old Testament history, New Testament experience, I pray you would teach us this morning as well the truth that is necessary. That you will indeed allow and negotiate a shaking of some things that, that need to be shaken away. If they can be shaken, they should be. So that that which cannot be shaken, 